Yay. Here we are. If it's not the laptop, it's the phone, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, always, mm-hmm. it's always something. Yes. Welcome back to Oddities, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Cassie. I'm Anna. And um, this is not the first one we're recording in, in 2021. Uh, last time was. So never mind. Oh. I was going to say something, but I changed my mind. And uh, before I forget, please check out our social uh, media. <laughs> I was say our social information. I guess that works too. Check out our social deets in the description That's, box. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. We also have a link to our Patreon. If you would like to donate to our show, you can donate as low as $1 a month. I don't think you can go lower than that. I, I mean, I, if I've been telling wrong information, sorry. $0.10, cents, $0.50. Cents. If it's an option, go for it. Whatever. Yeah, for real. Every little bit counts. So, how are we? How are you? Uh, I'm good. It's the morning when we're recording this, and I'm a little sleepy. Oh, a wee bit sleepy. A wee bit sleepy. Yeah, I had some great nighty nook nooks, and my body was like, you don't want to get up. I was like, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, no, it's not your fault. I mean, this is just existing. I think working from home, it's getting harder and harder to get out of bed. Oh, okay. You know, like, because I I just looked at my, at the end of 2020, my photos app, like, gave me a recap of everything. And I saw a picture of me in the beginning of 2020 getting ready to go to work. Like, I was, I guess I was on FaceTime with somebody and I took a screenshot. And it, the screenshot said 726. And I was like, oh, my God. It's like, <laughs> I don't even get up at that time now. <laughs> like, it's just. Like, it's like when you're looking back at high school and you're like, how did I get up that early? I mean, this doesn't apply to you. This is just like, <laughs> this doesn't apply say, to you at all. I can't truly relate, but I'm trying. <laughs> it's just like, I just love sleeping so much and it's so hard for me to get up in the morning, but it, it's just a weird feeling of being like, now I just walk down the hallway instead of getting dressed, get, putting my makeup on, getting in my car, going to work. It's just mm-hmm. like. So now my body's like, you have less to do so you can sleep in more. And I'm like, it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but you are saving gas money. I know, which actually is is wild. But yes. uh, yeah, that's so I'm just basically the long and short of that is I'm tired. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. Uh, you know, another set of circumstances that are pissing me off, but that's nothing new. Oh dear. Um, I have a rather big week at work this week. Um, I have a company-wide presentation on Tuesday and my review on Tuesday because I got pushed. And I have a presentation to the president this week. The president of your company? Uh, yes, well, our branch of it. Ooh, that's exciting. So <laughs> it's a rather sizable week. And also... Oh, well, this will have passed by this point, I think. But happy birthday to my dad and your mom. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, this, so, well, yeah when this comes out, this will have passed. But that's when it will we're have recording passed, yeah. this. Yeah, so, so happy belated. Um, but I am in New Jersey for the moment. Did a full full isolation lead up and made the trip yesterday. 
no tried for no bathroom breaks. I didn't make it, so I double masked. <laughs> went to the bathroom, and then I showered when I walked in the house. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, just it's the usual. It's it's the usual. And now you're back in the dirty jurors. Now I'm in New Jersey, um, so it's always good to be back. Yeah. I'm Trey pleased. For a long time, I thought I was going to leave this state, and I don't think I'm ever going to. I love this state. It's um, the only thing for me about it that makes me want to leave is just it's rather expensive. It's so expensive. Uh, that's the only thing. Otherwise, I, you know, yeah, I would stay too. But that's maybe I will. There's, there's I, so you know, many it's of hard us. to say. It's yes, it's hard to say. You know, who knows? Who knows what the future holds? That's so. right. That's uh, that's the long and short of it kiddos that's it this is also adulthood us talking about prices of living in states yeah how exciting are we yeah very. we're really stimulating this morning yes very is the answer so yeah i don't know should we uh <sighs> my god <laughs> get, jump right in gang we're rip roaring and ready to go uh yeah here yeah. we are vroom 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 pedal to the metal nah, 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 nah. okay yeah <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, would would you like me to go first? I don't remember who went first last time. Oh really shit, I don't either. I think I did, so you should. So I should, okay. Well, today uh, I will be speaking about Marie Laveau. She's a very interesting voodoo figure, a just interesting figure minus the voodoo as well. Love it, big fan. So there you have that. I got some inspo, right, because... Um, I watched the latest season of uh, Sabrina, and well, rather the last season as well. And it was, first of all, a colossal disappointment. But there's this there's this voodoo figure in it, and she's not Marie Laveau, but it got me thinking. Like, she's an interesting lady. So that's isn't how I Mar- arrived here. Isn't Marie Laveau in American Horror Story? Yes, and as with all things American Horror Story, it is very yeah. hyperbolic and mm-hmm. rather absurd in nature. Yeah. So. And super dramatic to the point of absurd, yeah. Right, exactly. So, any hoozles, I think I'll jump in. So, Marie Laveau was a Louisiana Creole, so that is, at least based on my reading, she was descended from the colonial white settlers, black slaves, and free people of color in southern Louisiana. So she's, she, was a, like a, she had like a, a mishmash going on there. Um, for several decades, this voodoo queen held New Orleans spellbound. in more ways than one you know uh she was very like she was widely known for (laughs) oh sorry (laughs) oh god (laughs) she was widely known for um staging these ceremonies in which participants would become possessed by and i'm probably gonna fuck this up loas los laos (laughs) it's voodoo spirits and she dispensed charms and potions and like she even supposedly saved several condemned men from the gallows, and she would tell fortunes, and she'd heal the sick, and basically all these fun things that, uh, you know, went down in New Orleans. And and I can, like, attest this having gone to New Orleans. There's, like, this, you know, there's, like, this magical vibe there. It's very cool. I like it very, very much. But she can heal the sick like Jesus. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that what Jesus could do? But, like, cooler. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> So, here we are. The first white settlers of Louisiana were French. Uh, Usually they were the second-born sons of aristocrats who left France to seek adventure in the New World. Oh, God. 
these French men came to be called <laughs> <laughs> came to be called Creole and made up the upper crust of New Orleans. And the word was later used to refer to white Frenchmen as well as people of color. So it, it came to be known as this like blanket term. Hmm. The Creole living in Louisiana at the time intermixed with black slaves, free people of color, Indian and Acadian people. And many Creole today can trace their ancestors back to that time. Uh, while there's a lot of information about Marie Laveau in Legends and Lore of New Orleans, separating fact from myth has always just kind of been like a little bit of an issue. And I have to say that like a lot of like, you know, TV, film portrayals, whatever have you, like certainly kind of contribute to the mm -hmm. difficulties in separating the two. Um, but nearly everything that's known about her originates in the secretive oral tradition of the practitioners of voodoo which has been apparently embellished with hearsay and drama, making an already larger-than-life persona basically even more, like, formidable. And so, essentially, we had this woman. She's almost, like, she is a historical figure. She existed. She was these things. But, like, she's almost sort of become, like, kind of like a tall tale, I guess, in a sense. Because, you know, over years, that's what happens with oral tradition. It just, it just happens. So Like Jesus. <laughs> like sweet baby Jay. So... Let us begin with her childhood and early years. So she was believed to have been born in the French Quarter of New Orleans on September 10th, 1794, which blew my mind when I read that date because in my mind, it's she's much more recent than that, and I don't know why. It's like that, 1794. Damn, that's far back. Yeah, that year sounds like you're like, Jesus, like it's so yeah, far right? away. <laughs> yeah, and so she was apparently this illegitimate daughter of a wealthy Creole plantation owner, Charles Laveau, and his mistress, Marguerite, who was a mix of black and Choctaw Indian. Very cool. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so she grew up on this plantation. She was educated and she studied to be a hairdresser later. Uh, which, so I guess American Horror Story kind of got that one right. Because I believe she owned like a salon in that. But anyway. Yeah. That's what um, I was just she, thinking. I was like, oh my god, she owned a salon in American Horror Story. <laughs> I know. So now, interestingly enough, she was a devout Catholic and she went to Mass every day of her life. Ooh. Yes. So August 4th, 1819. We're jumping ahead. Uh, we marry Carpenter Jacques Perry. <laughs> wow. Where did that come from? I loved that. Thank you. A free person of color. Now, when I say free person of color, how free was anybody also, of color at these I have, times? I have to say I that take... the... Yeah, sorry. sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I take issue with that term because it's, it's bullshit. Right. Also... Right. I I instantly when you were talking about the plantation owner and his mistress, I was like, oh god, how much consent was there here? Probably zero. It so, makes me so nauseous. It is so nauseous. This whole period of it, this is just like, you know, more of a stain. You know, we're we're just the United States, man. We are something. The United Stain. The United Stain. That's exactly it. So, um, anywho, Jacques was from Haiti. Uh, they went to live in the French Quarter of New Orleans. Their marriage certificate is preserved in St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans, which is very cool. <coughs> that is cool. The record also contains the names of um, her parents, so Charles Laveau and Marguerite d'Arcantrelle. Well, that's a dope one. It is. Um, and Marie was often described as tall, beautiful, and statuesque with curly black hair and golden skin. What a queen! Wow. I'm a big fan. Right? Love that. So Jacques was part of um, this large Haitian immigration to New Orleans 
in the early 1800s, like 1809, after the revolution um, in 1804 in Haiti. Uh, so these immigrants consisted of French-speaking white planters and thousands of slaves, as well as these supposed free people of color, which, again, bullshit. So, mm-hmm. those with African ancestry helped to revive voodoo and other African-based cultural practices in New Orleans. We love bringing our culture alive. Big fan of that. Mm-hmm. And the Creole of color community increased markedly, apparently. So, interestingly enough, Jacques goes missing, and he's presumed dead in 1824. <laughs> we, we took a turn here. Oh my now, God. Marie, Marie insists that he had died and that she was a widow, um, although there is evidence that he had just like up and left. So therefore, dick. Jacques is potentially quite a dick. And I'm going to believe that he's a dick. So sure. for whatever reason um, that he was out of her life. So she was left with basically these, her two kids to raise on her own at this point. Um, and following the custom of the time, she began calling herself the Widow Paris. Love that. So Wow. Big fan. Ha- after his death or whatever he leaves, you know, whatever the thing was that happened right. there, right. she begins working as a hairdresser. She caters to the wealthy white and Creole women of New Orleans and is considered the, and this is the considered the root of her like whole legend. Uh, many of these women looked upon Marie as like a confidant and confessed to her their most intimate secrets and desires about their husbands, lovers, estates, families their husband's mistresses and business affairs. So she was picking up on some juicy shit. She's I just in here. That. She's making she's making her money, but she's also learning a whole lot of hot gossip, you know. Also, so. I don't I don't know if you have a hairdresser that you really particularly trust, but I have a there's only one woman that touches my hair mm-hmm. and other than like my mom and my sister, <laughs> but like a, a paid hairdresser. Every time I go to her, like as soon as you sit down in that chair, you're like, yo, I got some shit. It's something about like salons, right? Like whether it's a hairdresser, whether it's like a nail technician, like there's Ugh. always, there's a figure, there's a figure. And like, they, they are like, they're like the priests of beauty, you know, yeah. like they, they are the yeah. professional, they are, the, you know. It's, it's very interesting. They're like the the priests for women because we know men aren't probably going to go in. The men of our lives are probably not going to go in here, so we can tell her. That's exactly right. It's, and it's a girl-to-girl thing, you know? It's, yeah, it's, right. It's different. So, on the side, Marie also did some nursing, uh, including minor minor surgery back then. So, we love wow. a multifaceted, so- multi-talented woman. Oh, my God. Uh, so this included ministering to prisoners on death row, as well as uh, taking in the sick to be nursed in her own home. About 1826, she enters into a common law marriage with a man named Louis Christophe Dumnil de Grappion. I wow, you, you nailed it. Thank you. I was really nervous. And he was a member of a prominent local family, and she lived with him until his death in 1855. Um, but as late as 1850... Uh, a newspaper still referred to her as Marie Laveau. So um, while they technically didn't like have like a full marriage, they just had like a common law marriage. Like they didn't do the whole wedding and all that shebang. She apparently had 15 children by him in rapid succession. And ultimately this ended her hairdressing career to devote all of her energies to raising her, her flock. (laughs) Quite literally a flock. A literal flock. Yeah, that is, that is too many. In my How is that even possible? And in rapid succession, I mean, the toll that that must have taken on her body is Ugh. like, I can't, I can't even write. Mm-mm. But she didn't really lose her clientele when she left hairdressing. 
mm-hmm. because she as as she settled into domesticity, she also set about becoming this legendary voodoo queen. Boom, here we go, baby. This is the time. Here we are. So she never really abandoned her Catholic roots. Um, she always urged people to attend Catholic mass, but she became increasingly interested in her mother's African traditional beliefs. Love it. Love exploring our heritage. So, while voodoo was commonly practiced in New Orleans, it did have this rather sinister reputation, which I would argue still carries into today. Uh, because, And I remember this, this conversation happening when I was taking, I, I was on a tour when I was in New Orleans. We were going through, it was a cemetery tour, <laughs> like you sure. do when you're made. Sure. And uh, they were talking about this. And, and essentially, voodoo is not really made to be this dark, magic thing. A lot of it is very much rooted in, like, exploring your spiritual beliefs and healing properties and th- like it's it's not necessarily uh-huh. the you know making making deals with these shadow people and this that or the other too it, right. it's not it's not what it's grown to be portrayed as i guess mm. um so laveau learned her craft from a quote voodoo doctor who was previously known as dr john or john bayou bayou i'm gonna go with bayou because it's spelled like that and by 1830, she was one of several voodoo queens. She combined her voodoo beliefs with Catholic traditions. So she would use holy water, incense, statues of saints, and Christian pair, pairs, prayers, uh, which helped make voodoo and hoodoo, which are the magical, magical rituals associated with voodoo, uh, much more acceptable to the upper-class New Orleans society, apparently. So because she had this Christian shit thrown in, they were like, oh, it's cool. Oh, and hoodoo's the shit with the brick dust at the door, like all that kind of shit. Hoodoo is just all of the magical rituals. It's like a blanket term for all of their their rituals. That hoodoo that you do do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. See, and that that shit's interesting to me. For sure. Um, So her beliefs included the recognition of spiritual forces, which could be kind or mischievous that preside over daily life and intercede in the lives of their followers. And connection with these spirits can be achieved through dance, music, singing, and the use of snakes. Love that. We took a hard left at the end there, but I'm cool with it. So she quickly came to, to dominance as the voodoo queen of New Orleans. Like she like put all these others to shame, you know, and that's cool, whatever. Sure, sure. So she takes, she takes charge of the public voodoo rituals and ceremonies held at Congo Square which is one of the few locations in the rigidly segregated New Orleans where people of different races could mix freely. And she ran other operations at the Maison Blanche, which means White House, which was built for secret voodoo meetings and liaisons between white men and black women, apparently. Oh. I know. She made a good income by selling Grease Grease, which is an amulet originating in Africa, which is believed to protect the wearer from evil or brings luck. Kind of like those, like, Hamza necklaces or like the evil eye stuff. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah, yeah. Um, charms, magical powders guaranteed to cure ailments, granting desires, and confounding or destroying one's enemies. Love that. Oh. She also she also told fortunes, gave advice on love, and prepared custom grease grease for anyone needing to effect a cure, charm, or hex. Hmm. So, some scholars, so she, she was apparently known to be this, she had these like divination powers like borderline prophecy shit i mean we're we're pulling you know we're pulling yeah. all this shit from tarot cards what have you but some scholars believe and i and i totally buy into this 
that her feared magical powers of divination were actually based on her network of informants, which she developed while working as a hairdresser mm-hmm. in households of these prominent people, you know, whatever. And as she visited her clients, who were mostly white, she would listen closely to their gossip, and she also appeared to excel at obtaining inside information on her wealthy patrons by instilling fear in their servants, whom she either paid or cured of mysterious ailments. I gotta say, love this. She's a smart businesswoman. That's what yes, she, she is. is. Big fan. So once, so, you know, people start talking, of course, blah, blah, blah. Her, her, the news of her powers spread and she overthrows other voodoo queens of New Orleans. And she acts as an oracle uh, and conducts private rituals behind her cottage on St. Anne Street in the French Quarter. She performs these supposed exorcisms. She offers sacrifices to spirits. And then these oral traditions suggest that the occult part of her magic Mixed Roman Catholic beliefs, including saints, with African spirits and religious concepts, which I kind of, I kind of like that nice. That I love that blend. I like that. Um, now, a local newspaper once referred to her as the quote notorious hag who reigns over the ignorant and superstitious, as the queen of voodoo's. I hate that. First uh, of all, she, why did they have to put the word hag in there? I hate it so much. Um, also, my computer. Did you hear that? I'm sorry. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Nothing but professional here. Here at Oddities. Okay. That's right. So, um, she was also feared for her power uh, with numerous stories of what supposedly happened to anybody that offended her. Um, and at the same time, she would still go around and she would <clears throat> heal the sick. She was regarded by many admirers as a living saint due to her humanitarian work. And rich and poor alike sought out the aid of her supposed dark powers to control lovers, to gain fame and fortune, become pregnant, exact revenge on others. And, you know, as I research this and as I'm (laughs) rereading it again, (laughs) Mm -hmm. walk with me, if you will. This whole concept that these are dark powers is interesting to me because Mm -hmm. these are a bunch of white people throwing down this term to somebody who is practicing African customs beliefs mm-hmm. whatever whatever i just think that a lot of it stems from that and i think it's very clear that at least to me that the sort of um the sort of reputation that voodoo has now it's like kind of it's it's racist i think yes. like it, it's from racist roots yes and i think okay. they're i think especially maybe the they didn't like the fact that there was, I think, A, a woman, and B, a, a woman of color yep. in a position of power that could be used against them. That's exactly right. What? So now they're afraid, and now they're doing this smear campaign type of bullshit. Which, right, which is frankly, very, very classic white people, no, and I, white I men. She, I don't think she particularly gave a shit. So, no. like, great. Also, she knew everybody's secret, so I don't know what you're doing pissing off this woman. Yeah, like, <laughs> Seems like a mistake. You know, yeah, let's just, um, let's calm that, shall we? So the other thing, too, is like, and I don't think that this is the only, obviously, the only case of this. I think that it's Mm -hmm. so often with other cultures. It's like when we start looking at some of their, like, maybe more mystical practices or whatever Mm -hmm. else, like, automatically everybody's like, it's dark. Not everybody, but you know what I mean. So many people have labeled this term that it's dark magic it's black magic it's the satan's magic whatever right right you know everything is is demonized if it doesn't look familiar to us that's exactly right which is bye that's it
It's, no, it's, but like it's it's bullshit. Just because it something is. is unfamiliar to you doesn't mean it's a threat to you. That's exactly right. And so, be a little more, be a lot more open minded. I should also, say. and I'm I'm very sorry that this woman knew all your secrets, but she's smarter than you. <laughs> it's, dude, hands down. So, um, okay, we're jumping forward a little bit here. But around 1875, she gives her last performance, and she announces that she's retiring to her home on St. Anne Street in the Old Quarter. But she never actually truly retired. She continued her work um, beyond that, and she is said to have been active in visiting the poor and imprisoned and still giving readings to people in her like private home. Um, in 1881, on uh, June 15th, she dies peacefully at home at the age of 86. Um, an eminent writer at the time, uh, Lafcadio Hearn, oof, what a name, referred to as, quote, one of the kindest women who ever lived. Love that. Her fame... Oh. Yeah. Also, I was just wondering because she did all these good things. She healed the sick. She went to the poor. She visited inmates. You know, like she's doing all of these things that by Catholicism rules. I mean, I keep making the Jesus joke, but by Catholicism but rules literally, yeah. is like someone who is honorary of sainthood. That's exactly And right. I was just wondering is if she had been white, would the Catholics have liked her? Of course they would have. And I'm actually, I'm pretty sure I've read like uh somewhere when i was researching this and i don't know if i put it in my document or not i can't remember but uh like some people are like trying to um help me what's that word canonize like petition petition for her to be canonized she should be she sounds like she's an incredible person definitely um let's see uh her fame guaranteed prominent obituaries in the new orleans times Pick a Yoon. <laughs> and also the oh god. And also the New York Times. Um reporters Pick a Yoon. It was so hard. Reporters painted her in uh, very glorious terms, a saintly figure who nursed the sick and prayed incessantly with the deceased and condemned. So that's more like it. Mm-hmm. That's because now that she's dead, you know, she's not a threat anymore. We can go ahead and say these things apparently. Right. But whatever. Which you so. fuckers. She was buried in St. Louis Cemetery Number no. 1 in the Laveau-Glapion family crypt. The burials are in above-ground vaults. I can confirm this. And most were constructed in the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, the above-ground tombs are required because of groundwater issues, uh, making burial very impractical in New Orleans. Um, in Ooh. fact, um, after several hurricanes, they had like a lot of issues with like bodies just yeah, just showing up and, and floating around. Mm-hmm. It's I'm, not uh, it's not funny, but like I'm, I, I'm gripping my chest because as soon as you were like, oh yeah, they had to do it for flooding issues. I was like, oh, oh my god, that must is. have been the most horrific scene in the world. Oh yeah, talk about like people thinking you know end of the world scenario. You've got this rager of a storm, and then all of a sudden the the dead are coming out of the ground. Like oh oh, oh my god, that's people horrific. Shit. So, of all the elaborate grave sites that are found within New Orleans, because that's true, there are a lot of very, very fancy ones. Um, the grave that fancy. attracts the most visitors each year is Marie Laveau. There's another crypt in Cemetery Number no. 2 that is known as the Wishing Vault or the Voodoo Vault, where visitors illegally draw XXX on its white slab in the hopes that Laveau's spirit will grant them a wish. It's also typically de- decorated with hearts, pentagrams, poetry, and initials. Uh, there is no real evidence that that's actually her tomb, um, but a lot of people still visit, and they make her like a regular pilgrimage there. 
Um, and apparently her spirit will personally intervene to anyone leaving an offering of coins, Mardi Gras beads, flowers, rum, or candles. When we took the cemetery tour, um, I like I can confirm this. Like people left all kinds of shit there. They left bottles of liquor. They would leave jewelry. They would leave like these paintings of her. Like all these really cool like offerings. I guess hmm. um, it's very interesting. You're not allowed to just go into the cemeteries anymore because people were defacing a lot of them and causing a lot of really huge issues. You cannot enter the cemetery unaccompanied by like a tour guide or like some official representative of that cemetery or what have hmm. you. Um, and it's interesting. actually, it's pretty eerie walking through there because um, it feels a bit like a labyrinth. Uh, like the, the, it's not yeah. like the paths are kind of all over the place. It is yeah, not your yeah. typical, you see a bunch of headstones because it's literally, it's just walls because people have to be buried above the ground. So it's just all these right. walls around you of people who are dead and you're walking through on these crazy twisty turny paths, all this stuff. It's, yeah. and now it's very heavily regulated, like I said, because people, uh, you know, apparently can't respect people who are dead. So, which, <clears throat> what the fuck, gang? Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And there's like, you know, they leave candles, they leave all these things. Sometimes people leave pound cake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just leave these things. Um, but anyway, despite having having been dead for quite a long time now, she still continues to be the central figure of Louisiana voodoo and of New Orleans culture in general. Gamblers will shout her name if they're throwing dice. Um, there are tales of sightings of the voodoo queen that have been told by people. Her grave has more visitors, like I said, um, and she actually has more visitors than the grave of Elvis Presley. And although she's wow. not... Yeah. Uh, oh, here it is. Okay, I did write it down. I knew I would write this down. And although she's not yet officially considered a saint, there is a strong movement to try and have her canonized. And I think she should be. I think she should be, too. That's wild. Here's my other question. Mm -hmm. Is people are leaving booze and food? Who's who's taking that? I was I would assume that they have people like a cleaning crew that kind of right. goes through. And yeah, but like just but, but like also just think about that very question, right? Because then people will leave this stuff and then it's gone and it's like, you know so yeah meanwhile it plays into this nicely yeah meanwhile one of the guys is like hey we, we can't leave that food out grab it i'm bringing it home somebody bring a mixer yeah it's <laughs> you know <laughs> um and just one more thing i wanted to point out kind of like i had spoken about earlier but i think this is important for us to like educate is that the main focus of new orleans voodoo today is to serve others and influence the outcome of life events through a connection with nature spirits and ancestors and these methods include readings, spiritual baths, uh, specially devised diets, prayer, and personal ceremony. And it's often used to cure anxiety, addictions, depression, loneliness, and other ailments. And it helps, it seeks to help the hungry, the poor, and the sick, just as she did. So I think it's... I love you know, that. This is not what it is constantly being painted out to be. It's actually quite a good movement. And while maybe a lot of people of certain faiths don't totally understand it, these are people who are trying to get in touch with their own sense of spiritualism. And for them, that's through nature, spirits, and ancestors. And I don't think that's a bad move. I think that's interesting. No. Like, I'm more into that. A, a thousand percent, I'm more into that. Yeah, and I love that they, like, they try and use these means to help people who are battling, you know, mental health issues or, like they said, addictions right. or, you know, I think it's nice. I think it's great. And I, I don't, um, I don't think it should be demonized the way it is. Ryan Murphy, I'm looking directly at you. Looking at you, Ryan Murphy. Definitely not. Like, 
don't get me wrong. I guarantee that there are people who are like bastardizing this and doing it for shit like that because they don't truly understand and they haven't taken the time to research sure, or like sure. educate themselves about it's what it's really supposed to be about. I have no doubt mm-hmm. that there are people doing that. Right. Uh, you know that. So that I am not sitting here saying everybody that practices voodoo is doing it for the right reasons because anybody that practices anything, there's always going to be people who are not doing it right. Right. There's people who are practicing Christianity who are not doing it for the right reasons. Vatican. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> Sorry, it just slipped out. <laughs> you know, like, you, you're going to find people who are made of mud everywhere, no matter what they practice. But right. I also think that the, I think it's important that you highlighted the fact that that's what voodoo was intended for. Yes. So um, that's all I have. That's Marie Laveau and voodoo. That's but I just, so interesting. She's, she is quite the figure. And I think she's Love very her. Cool. Big fan. Yeah, definitely. Um so, way to go, Marie. I hope you're doing well. <laughs> I, I, I just the also afterlife. love... the <laughs> afterlife. for real. Wherever that is, and I hope it's whatever you wanted it to be. For sure. So, that's all I have. Wow. She's so interesting. I, I knew you'd am like also, her. I do. I love her. I also am covering a very misunderstood female historical figure. Yes! I'm excited. I'm doing Marilyn Monroe. Ooh, our girl! She's very interesting. I wrote a big paper on her in college. Oh, good. So you can help me if I if I get go through any blank spots. I gotta dust off the cobwebs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I didn't know a lot of this about her, so I'm gonna give a quick history. Here we are. Because I think her history is very important. And also, I didn't realize that she was very dope. She was super cool and 100% murdered. Okay, I'm gonna get into that. All right, cool. So, she's born on June 1st, 1926, as Norma Jean Mortensen. A Gemini, I think. I don't know. I know you. I know. Go ahead. (laughs) That's all. Just threw in my tidbit. Her mother was from a poor Midwestern family who migrated to California, and she was married at 15. Jesus Christ. Okay. And the man was nine years her senior and was apparently very abusive. He, they successfully, yeah, that's a running theme in this story. They successfully filed for divorce. Apparently he kidnapped the two children they had together and took them with him to Kentucky. What a dick. Uh, She was not, Marilyn Monroe was not told that she had a sister until she was 12, which I think is wild. She wasn't told that she had a sister until she was 12? Yeah, because I guess she didn't see her. Interesting. Okay, no, my paper then, didn't cover any of this, so this and is all new. And later on, her an ex... I, I don't really talk about DiMaggio, but she gets married to Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, Yankees. And yep. they get divorced, and it's her half-sister and DiMaggio who basically organizes her very private um, burial and, like, uh, hmm. what the... You know, what, what, a funeral. Like, That's the word okay. I'm looking for. All right, I was going to be like her ceremony, but, her... Yeah, yeah, but it's it's her half-sister and DiMaggio that basically, like, put it all together, which I think is very interesting. That is. Okay, so in 1924, her mother marries Martin Mortensen. In my notes, I go, that name is very unfortunate. That's such a <laughs> stupid name. Martin Mortensen? Jesus. That's but like, you they, know what that is? That's a uh, name of that of those times. Like, 100%. I know. Oof. Yikes. You know? But they separated some months later, and then they divorced in 28. So Monroe's born in 26, Marilyn Monroe. So the identity of her father has never really been known. Right. Okay. Which I also think is wild. Yeah. So she gets 
knocked around in a lot of places. She's placed with uh, evangelical foster parents. They all live together, but then her mom leaves to work and then only begins to visit her daughter on weekends. Her mom has a mental breakdown in 1934 and is diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. After living in a rest home, she's committed to the Metropolitan State Hospital and spent the rest of her life in and out of hospitals with little contact with her daughter. Yikes. 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 And you know what? I think, too, like, I'm pretty sure Marilyn Monroe, like, I mean, aside from this stuff, she had just, like, a pretty hard life in general. I mean, there's just, like, a lot of darkness in her her story. Yeah. She is a very, very sad story. Yeah. So... She becomes a ward of the state, and she goes to move homes. She's sexually abused in her first home. Mm -hmm. Great. Mm -hmm. And she becomes very shy and withdrawn and developed a stutter. I I am not surprised. I'm not either, but it's just like her whole... It's just so sad. And I I honestly, like, knowing her as such a cultural icon, Mm -hmm. now hearing her beginning, you're like, God damn it. I know. Poor angel. I know. And my, my so, one of my best friends loves Marilyn Monroe. I mean, so she's going to be so pumped about this episode. I uh, th- This was a, a listener recommendation. Yes. It was not her, but yes. <laughs> yes. But uh, th- <laughs> thank you, listener. So yes. uh, a family friend decides to remove her from this house and put her in an orphanage, which was apparently described as, quote, a model institution, but Marilyn felt abandoned. Yikes. Okay. Because... Uh, why wouldn't you? <laughs> right. Yeah. So a friend of her mother's becomes her permanent home. She enrolls at junior high. She's described as a mediocre student. I go in my notes. Rude. Yeah, that's rude. And also, why does it matter? Right. Fuck off. Yeah. But she excels at writing and contributed to the school newspaper, which I feel like is dope. Excellent. We love a creative. In 1942, her family has this, the family that she's living with, would have to relocate due to a job out of state and California child protection laws prevented her from going with them. And so they were like, you're going to have to go back to the orphanage. She's like, I'm not doing that shit. There's a 21 year old neighbor just after her 16th birthday. She marries him. Ooh. Okay. She then drops out of high school and becomes a housewife. I don't know why like that family couldn't have just adopted her if she was already staying with like that that's the thing and it's not just this case it's just something that I see sometimes and it's just like well you guys were basically there why not just go through with it right I don't know it doesn't make sense to me everybody's got their reasons but to me it doesn't quite make sense yeah so she doesn't want to go to an orphanage she doesn't want to be Fair. Very, you know like she doesn't want to go through all that again so she no, gets married yeah. to a 21 year old when she's 16 which is even saying that makes me but i mean it's her mother got married at 15 you know like it's it's so it it's, makes me yeah ugh. yeah anyway in april 1944 her husband is shipped out to fight in the pacific where he remains for two years she went to live with her in-laws she worked at a munitions factory which i didn't know cool very cool and she met photographer david conover who had been sent by the U.S. Army Air Force's first motion picture unit to the factory to shoot morale-boosting pictures of female workers. Okay. That makes me want to die. That's that's so cringy. And, and so, ugh. And although none of the picture, her pictures were used in 45, she quits working at the factory and begins modeling for Conover and his friends. That also makes me want to die. That's also, yeah. 
Okay. So defying her deployed husband, she moved on her own and signed a contract with the Blue Book Model Agency in August 1945. Okay. She was declared more fit for pinup work and was featured mostly in men's magazines and advertisements. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. straightened her hair because it was originally curly and dyed it blonde. She was originally a brunette to oh. make herself like more palatable. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I All know. Right. All I right. know. So, but also, I mean, I understand, like, I understand, I'm not, I'm not taking right. issue with her doing it. It's no, 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 no. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm taking issue that she had to do it. That's yeah. Right. Exactly. Like more palatable. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Yikes. So reportedly, she became one of the most ambitious and hardest working models. And by early 46, she had appeared on 33 magazine covers. Wow. So apparently what she was doing worked. Uh, Yeah. Which we have to say, like Marie Laveau, we love a woman that works the system. A smart businesswoman. That's right. In uh, the same year, 1946, she divorces her husband, who is against her career. She's like, bye. (laughs) 20th Century Fox, I know, 20th Century Fox signs her, despite being unenthusiastic about her, but... They didn't want her to sign anywhere else. Classy. And they <laughs> okay. created the stage name Marilyn Monroe. Interesting. Yeah. So she stars in a few movies that don't work out from 49 to 52. Whoops, but it happens. Here's a snippet of what she's given, which oh, I think feeds into her, what she does later on. Okay. She's written opposite Cary Grant in Monkey Business and is written as, quote, dumb, Childish blonde, innocently unaware of the havoc her sexiness causes around her. Unquote. <sighs> and then in another movie called We're Not Married, her character is created solely to, quote, present Marilyn in two bathing suits. Unquote. And you see, like, the problem is, is like, this is still happening. A thousand percent. Like, rampant. So it's just, I... It's disgusting. It is. It's annoying. It's disgusting. It's infuriating. It's like a also, whole slew of words. I'm just going to say this right now. The first Avengers movie, I read this. Joss Whedon wrote it. I read that script. The way he describes the female agent in that movie is oh, fucking disgusting. God. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure. So, fuck Marvel. There you have it. Fuck Marvel. Okay. Add them to Thanks, the list. Gang. Just because you have, uh, oh, I, I can't. Oh, I was about to go off on a rant. But, boy, but you so reined dur- that in. I Did you see it? it just I like, did. I just, I was just, like, I can't. Like, nope, nope. That was wow. Well, well done. I know. Yeah. I know. She's getting so much better. <laughs> so, but you also never have to silence yourself. So, but I would, I, this would be such a long episode. Three, three hours later. Later. <laughs> Just me just still screaming about it. <laughs> and Marvel. <laughs> yeah, just screaming about their fucking faux feminist bullshit. So, okay. Uh, okay. During Sorry. this period, she's reported to be difficult to work with on set. She's okay. often late or doesn't show up. She doesn't remember her lines and would demand several retakes before being satisfied with her scenes. And all, her, the directors didn't like that she relied a lot on her acting coaches. Okay. I mean, to be it fair, is, if if I was in the director's shoes, I too would get annoyed if she wasn't showing up, if she wasn't showing up on time. Like, if you have a mm-hmm. commitment, you have a commitment. So I yeah. will say that. Yeah. I mean, yes, I agree. Yeah. It's believed her problems were attributed to her perfectionism, low self-esteem, and stage fright. 
oh, and her okay. inability to be in control on sets because she never had an issue when she was doing modeling. Well, I would say that that probably also stems from her sexual abuse. I would agree. Yeah. So she obviously had more say in her performance when she was a model. So she could like yeah. do different things. She had more spon- uh, like the ability for spontaneity rather than reading directly from a script. Yeah. So right. Okay. It could also be the fact that she developed a stutter, which I'm sure contributed to her stage fright, which I'm mm-hmm. sure came out when she was afraid. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just saying. So to alleviate her stress and chronic insomnia, she began to use barbiturates, amphetamines, okay. and alcohol. Here okay. we go. Here we are. So according to Sarah Churchwell, who was, I when I was researching her, she was like a, uh, she's like a, a doctorate in the UK. Okay. And she does a lot of like female, it, she's like, she examines a lot of how females are affected, the female brain. And okay, shit so like she's that. like a scholar on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Some of, I didn't explain that well, but yes, you got it. I was picking up what you were putting down. Thank you so much. Some of uh, Monroe's behavior, especially later in her career, was in response to the condensation, condensation, Oop. condescension. Okay. And sexism of her male co-stars and directors. Mm. Mm-hmm. Similarly, biographer uh, Lewis Banner has stated that she was bullied by many of her directors, which I believe. Oh, totally. Because that's still happening today. And these yep. people are dickheads. Absolutely. Yeah, dickheads. I'm sure women had even less of a say then. Hollywood, are you listening to us? <laughs> We're mm-hmm. critiquing you. You're dickheads. Yep. In 1953, uh, Monroe starred in a movie called Niagara, where she played a femme fatale scheming to kill her husband. This is where her trademark look emerged: the beauty mm-hmm. mark, the arched brows, the pale skin, the red lips. Okay. This is where it, it happened. Yes, quintessential and, Marilyn. That's right. And this was also considered to be what started her off as like the sex symbol road kind of thing okay. as it was the most overtly sexual movie of her career and was considered scandalous by many audiences although it was very popular oh shocker yeah right it's like 50 shades of gray all over again thank you yep she also starred in gentlemen prefer blondes and how to how to marry a millionaire in that same year <laughs> okay which I've seen Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and I enjoy that movie. <laughs> I've never seen it. It's just the names. The names are what got I, me. For real. It's disgusting. So in December 1953, her sex symbol was solidified even more when Hugh Hefner featured her on the cover as a centerfold in Playboy. Yes. However, yes. she did not consent to this publication. The cover image was a photograph taken of her at the Miss America pageant parade in 52, and the centerfold featured one of her 49 nude photographs. Fuck that in a big she, way. She didn't consent, and she didn't receive a dime for any of this, and yet Hugh Hefner Fuck skyrocketed that. and became supremely wealthy. And the very the very best friend that I was talking about told me about all of this just, just like a week ago. Fuck that in such a big way. I know. It's so gross. It's so... Fuck you, you perverted old man in your goddamn fucking bathroom. Fuck you. All of it. There you have it. Ugh. So, as she grew in popularity, she began to film The Seven Year Itch, and despite that most of the movie was shot in Hollywood, the studio decided to generate audience interest by shooting the scene where she stands on the subway grate and her dress flies up mm-hmm. in Manhattan. The shoot lasted for several hours and drew 2,000 spectators. I believe it. Totally. 
That's so many fucking people on her street. That is so many. And she must have been, like, if she had this stage fright situation and everything else, like, she must have been so anxious and afraid during that time. I would have been. Yeah. If I was in her shoes. 2,000 people watching you for that shit? Like. And obviously, the the studios are like, oh, uh, we don't care. Right, right, of course. So. Which, so, okay. After filming The Seven Year Itch, she and photographer Milton Green found their founded their own production company, Marilyn Monroe Productions, which has been called instrumental in the collapse of the studio system. Excellent. That's right. And She's later on, when Milton, yeah, when Milton Green pulled out, she bought his half. Big dick energy. That's right. She's a... She's a, uh, a what a boss. Up. I know. It's, it's fucked up what they did to her. So in 1955, she dated Marlon Brando. This isn't that relevant. I just fucking love Marlon I lo- Brando. I love that combination. Love I know. that. Ugh. And he was so fucking cool, too. One day I'm going to talk about him because he's amazing. But okay. Then she dates playwright Arthur Miller, who separated from his wife. Right. Okay. Yikes. Okay. So she was told to end her relationship with Miller as he was being investigated by the FBI for allegations of communism Oops. and had been subpoenaed by the House Un-American Activities Committee. That yes. name sucks. We're in the red scare at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, yes. we are. Okay. But she refused to stop seeing him, which led the FBI to open a file on her. Oh, there it is. Meanwhile, they're still trying to solve cryptos. <laughs> just kidding. I don't think it was built yet. But <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> That's perfect. So as MMP, Marilyn Monroe Productions, was not able to finance films on its own, but Fox was desperate to have her back, they agreed to a new seven-year contract that would pay her 400000 to make four films and granted her the right to choose her own projects, project, uh, own yep. projects, yep, there it own is. directors, own cinematographers, and would be able to make one film with MMP per each completed film with Fox. That's how you negotiate a contract. How much is 400000 then, like, versus now, I wonder? Oh, oops, I meant to look this up and I forgot. I'm just curious. It's got to be a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. Big time. And also, Fox was like, okay, we'll agree to whatever. Yep, love it. We'd love to see it. Good for you, girl. Time called her a shrewd businesswoman in 1956. So that same year, our poor angel becomes more dependent on pharmaceuticals and reportedly she had a miscarriage and took an 18th month hiatus to concentrate on herself. She had an ectopic pregnancy in mid-57 and a miscarriage a year later. She was also briefly hospitalized due to a barbiturate overdose. I'm pretty sure it's speculated that she had endometriosis. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, I read that. Mm Mm-hmm. And she got surgery for it, which, that's that's coming. Yep. In, In 58, she returned to Hollywood for Some Like It Hot, and although reportedly didn't like the role because it was another dumb blonde... She accepted due to Miller's encouragement and an offer of 10% on the film's profits on top of her standard pay. Nice. Get that money. That's right. Take it and run. She was reportedly very difficult to work with, demanding dozens of retakes and did not remember her lines or act as directed. That was the complaint across the board for that movie. Could have been like the barbiturates, you know. Right. Yeah. It could also have been the fact that she apparently didn't like the role. It, it could have been that. It could have been a whole slew you know. of things. Right. Yeah. She it was considered a critical and commercial success in March 1959, and she earned a Golden Globe. Yay! Also, that's a good movie. Some like it hot. 
I haven't seen that either. I actually, I don't think I've ever seen any Marilyn Monroe movies, which I'm surprised. I, lo- I think Some Lay Hot's funny as hell. I'll have to check it out. I, I can't remember if I enjoy Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, but I have to, th- I mean, I assume I did, but I think I saw it so long ago and I haven't rewatched it. But I remember loving Some Like It Hot because it's funny. And I think <laughs> she's good in it. Could probably get it on like Prime or something. For sure. Yeah, like a rental. Although I feel like all all these movies that are considered iconic now should be free. They should. Anyway. She, that's a whole other thing. I agree. She starred in, in other movies and was meant to be in Breakfast at Tiffany's. But was feared to cause too much of an issue, so the role went to our girl Audrey. Yikes. Okay. The last film she completed was The Misfits, which Miller had written to provide her with a dramatic role, and that failed at the box office. Their marriage crumbled, and Miller began seeing the on-set photographer. Okay. At the same time, her health starts to fail. She was in pain from gallstones. Her drug addiction had become worse. And it had become so severe that she had to have her makeup applied while she was sleeping under the influence of barbiturates. Hmm. In August, the film had to be halted for her to spend a week in the hospital detoxing. Hmm. Miller and Monroe separated after the filming wrapped and she received a Mexican divorce. I was like, what the hell is what that? What is that? Apparently, it was easier, quicker, and less expensive than a divorce in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So she received that in 61. That same year, she spent most of it fighting her health, undergoing the removal of her gallbladder, surgery for endometriosis, and mm-hmm. spent four weeks hospitalized for her depression. Mm. In 62, she moves back to California permanently. I just can't help but wonder, though, if is that um, like some of her drug addiction issues, like in addition to the trauma that she experienced in the past and everything else, also stem from the pain that she was in because of her endometriosis. The gall, I mean, the gallstones could be a direct result of a whole host of things that she was putting into her body. But yeah, I'm, it's just kind of, I'm just saying it also. Right. And like, we can barely figure like doctors can barely figure out where pain from endometriosis is coming from today. Nope. There is like little to no research on this. If I win the lottery, which I'm now, I have a <laughs> six game losing streak <laughs> all according to plan. I'm going to donate a huge chunk of the winnings to research on this. Just, just women's research in general on, on like, re- reproductive. We, we do not study enough about women's health. Nope. We just don't. Nope, and it's so complex, and it, it needs to be so heavily studied, and so that's all. That's my PSA. Ugh. So, and, all, like, she couldn't sleep, and who knows if she couldn't sleep because of the pain. Like, we, we don't know. Nope, we don't know. So, Okay. So, days before filming another movie in 62, she caught uh, cyanitis, 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 sinus. Basically, your sinuses are all fucked up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't... And despite medical advice to postpone production, Fox was like, no. Classic. Shocking. Absolutely classic. Here we are. Yeah. And then, despite more confirmation from multiple doctors, the studio pressured her by alleging, by alleging through... (laughs) here we are i wrote this sentence really stupid in my notes i got it i got it so despite confirmation from multiple doctors the studio pressured her by alleging publicly that she was faking it that's nice not enough eye rolls in the universe to express how i feel about so much of this also multiple doctors are like dude she's sick yeah like why are we not i mean you're asking for a legal case against you fools so 
That's that's the that's early sixty two. Okay. On May nineteenth, she took a break to sing Happy Birthday to Mr. Mr. President on stage at JFK's early birthday celebration at MSG in New York, <laughs> and that caused a lot of attention for her. Corey does this sometimes. Well, we... Happy Birthday, Mr. Yeah, President. He does it in like his own Marilyn Monroe voice, and it is the funniest shit you're ever gonna hear. I wish I could. I wish I was home so I could record him doing it so we could splice it. <laughs> Oh, that would have been so good. Um, so, I, for those of you that don't know about her dress, it was skin tight and covered in rhinestones, making her appear nude. Same. She looked great. She looked great. And this is, I mean, you know. This is 62. Yeah, so, so ev- people everybody like, lost their shit. Yeah, of course. Yeah, everybody lost their goddamn minds. Uh, women were like, my husband, like, shut up. Your husband's a dickhead anyway. <laughs> it's if he's not going to see it here, he's going to look at it somewhere else. So, you know. Also, relax. He's not leaving you for Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, let's all she just, has let's taste. All just calm down and, and, I don't know, go, go. She dated Marlon Brando. Go spray some, and some Sinatra. hairspray on your beehive or whatever you're doing in 62. Yeah. Yeah, relax. Also, women, stop hating other women. It's not other women's fault. We've been taught that. It's not the case. We're all tired. We're all tired. We're all fighting the same battle. Stop fighting against each other. So Fox executives were pissed because they hadn't wanted her to go to do this thing. But she did it anyway. She falls sick again that year. Fox fires her and sued her for $750,000 in damages. Ooh, okay. She was meant to be replaced, but Dean Martin, who was supposed to star opposite her, was like, nah, I'm not working with anyone other than her. Hell yeah. Fox sues him and shuts down production. Jesus, everybody's getting sued. Okay. And then Fox publicly blames Marilyn for the film's demise and alleged that she was mentally disturbed. Yeah, yeah. Here we are. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah, Fox, we know you fucking love a smear campaign. Yeah, you guys are all douchebags. Then later on, they regretted the decision and decided to reopen negotiations and she went on to repair her public image. Okay. Here comes her death. Oh, all right. Here we are. On August 5th, 1962, Marilyn Monroe's housekeeper, Eunice Murray, was staying overnight and awoke at 3 a.m. and sensed that something was wrong. This is all legend. Spidey this senses are says. tingling. Big time. Okay. Although I have woken up in the middle of the night and thought that something was wrong. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have had like those days where I just feel like some shit's going to hit the fan, you know? It happens. Yeah. And the 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 week that my grandmother died, I knew that I, I was staying over at a then boyfriend's house. And I knew that my mom was like, oh, I'm going to go see my grandmother in the hospital. And I was like, I should go. I just like knew I should yeah. go because I felt like something was wrong. Yeah. You know. And then that, that was the last time I saw her alive. Mm-hmm. So. So I just feel like there are certain things. Trust your gut. Sometimes I. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes I feel like that, I believe that. But anyway, that's what she says. Eunice. Okay. Eunice. So Eunice sees a light from under Monroe's door, uh, but wasn't able to get a response and found the door to be locked. Ooh. Which I guess was unusual. I don't know why you would lock your own bedroom door in your own house, but. Maybe she didn't trust so. Eunice. I don't know. Yeah, maybe not. Mm, maybe mm. not. Monroe's psychiatrist is called, and they break into the bedroom through a window to find Monroe dead in her bed. Oop. She's discovered nude, face down, with a telephone in one hand. Okay. Her physician arrives at 3.50 a.m., pronounces her dead. 4.25, LAPD is notified. So that's from 3 to 3.50. 
two people show mm-hmm. up, and one pronounces her mm-hmm. dead. I don't know how close they were, mm-hmm. or how readily available you are at 3 a.m., but I guess, quick. I just don't know why they didn't call the police in the first place. Here's my question. Why was there a psychiatrist Yeah, why, why is that the first call? Call the police. Call, I don't know, just like somebody, I, I don't know, because obviously something's wrong. Of the two people, you're not calling the physician Absolutely, first? Absolutely, right? So that's what I would do. I'd be like, she's not answering, something's wrong. And then it, leave it up to the physician to call the, the psychiatrist or something if he wants to form this fucking committee to go right. check her out. I, why I does, don't know. Why does the psychiatrist show up? For, and I'm just, the time is incredible yeah, how right. quick they show yeah. up. I know, like seriously, it's the middle of the, Well, they were probably paid to be on call. That's That's what you do. You get the call, you get ready, you get going. Yeah, and I guess for her... Yeah, with somebody that's as high profile as that, it's probably the case where they can kind of just... Right, and she's she's also... <clears throat> they know that she's... They know, I'm sure, to some degree, that she's abusing. I'm sure. You yeah. Know? yeah. So, okay. Uh, she is reported to have died between 8.30 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. on August 4th. The toxology report showed the cause of death was acute barbiturate poisoning. She had two... Oh, excuse me. She had 12.5 milligram percentage, which is milligrams per 100 millimeters of solution, of sedative in her blood and 13 in her liver. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Empty medicine bottles were found next to her bed. The possibility that she accidentally overdosed was ruled out because the dosages found in her body were several times over the lethal limit. Mm -hmm. Monroe's doctor stated that she had been, quote, prone to severe fears and frequent depressions. With abrupt and unpredictable mood changes, unquote. And she had overdosed several times in the past, possibly intentionally. Mm -hmm. Due to these facts and the lack of indication of foul play, the deputy coroner ruled it as a probable suicide. It was said that the suicide rate in L.A. doubled after her death, and the paper circulations expanded exponentially that month, with the Chicago Tribune reporting receiving hundreds of phone calls a day demanding more information about her death. Interesting. Which is really sad. Here come the theories. All right. In 64, Frank A. Capel self-published a pamphlet called The Strange Death of Marilyn Monroe, which claimed that she was part of a communist conspiracy. Ooh, okay. He claimed that Monroe and U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy had an affair, and she threatened to cause a scandal, and he ordered her assassination to protect his career. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In addition of accusing Kennedy of being a communist sympathizer, Capel also claimed that he, that many other people close to Monroe, such as her doctors and ex-husband, Arthur Miller, were communists, which he was suspected of. Mm-hmm. Miller. Right. Capel's credibility was questioned due to that his only source was communist. Co- communist. God damn it. His <laughs> only source was columnist Walter Winchell, who in turn received much of his information from uh, Capel. So basically he was citing himself the entire right. time. LAPD Sergeant Jack Clemens aided in the development of the pamphlet. He was the first one on the scene and later made claims that he hadn't mentioned in the 62 investigation. He alleged that when he arrived at Monroe's house, her housekeeper was washing her sheets and he had a, quote, sixth sense that something was wrong, Mm. unquote. Suspicious. Most of these accusations stem from their political goals, who were both known to be against the Kennedys and formed organizations against them. With the affair of Monroe and Kennedy being, that that's where it likely came okay. from. It likely stemmed from from these guys because they did not like the Kennedys. Okay. 
In 65, they were indicted by a California grand jury for conspiracy to libel by obtaining and distributing a false affidavit against a senator because... it Oh, it was against a senator claiming that he had a, had an affair with a man. <laughs> so there's a little so bit of homophobia that. for you. Yep. Again, because he had supported the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And there's and the there other part. Is. There's the... the- the other shoe is dropped. That's right. So they are both uh, indicted for this by a grand jury. Okay. So <laughs> in 73, Norman Mailer publicized Marilyn, a biography, and despite not having any evidence, repeated the claim that Monroe and Robert F. Kennedy had an affair and speculated that she was killed by either the FBI or the CIA, who wished to use the murder as a point of pressure against the Kennedys. Later on 60 Minutes, he recanted his allegations, declaring that he had said all that to ensure commercial success for his book and that he believed Monroe's death was 10 to 1 an accidental suicide. Mm. Mm. In 1982, a private detective published Marilyn Monroe murder cover-up where he claimed that he had, she had been murdered by Jimmy Hoffa and a mob boss. He claimed that Monroe's body had been extensively bruised, but this has been omitted from the autopsy report and that he had seen the red diary. So the red diary is, was basically circulated by conspiracy theorists. They think it was started by those guys who didn't like the Kennedys earlier. Okay. That she kept this red diary where she'd written confidential political information that she had heard from the Kennedys and that her house had been wiretapped. This all, all, this is all tied in with the red diary and there's no proof to substantiate this. There's nothing. But so apparently in 82, our, the, the PI says, oh, he had seen the red diary, but it had mysteriously disappeared. Okay. Okay. L.A. District Attorney agreed to review the case in the 80s, but there was no evidence to support any of these murder claims. A coroner who worked in the LAPD at the time of Monroe's death also corroborated with this publication in 82, but wasn't certified as a credible witness because he had been fired for stealing from corpses. Mm-hmm. So, yikes. Uh, The wiretapping had been proven to be false when the person who was accused of the tapping had his apartment raided. He had tape seized, but due to the contents, it wasn't supported that he tapped Monroe's house. Mm. In 85, the most prominent theory emerged with the publication of Goddess, The Secret Lives of Marilyn Monroe, written by Anthony Summers, who claimed that Monroe's death was an enabled accidental overdose and that Robert F. Kennedy covered it up. Before this book, he also authored a book about the JFK assassination conspiracy theory. Just as a little note there. Mm. According to Summers, Monroe had several substance abuse problems. Okay. And was psychotic in the last months of her life. Easy. Okay. He alleged that Monroe had affairs with both <laughs> JFK and Robert Kennedy. Mm. And that when Robert Kennedy ended their affair, she threatened to reveal their association. Kennedy attempted to prevent this by enabling her addictions, and she allegedly died in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. But Kennedy wanted to leave L.A. to avoid being associated with her death, and so her body was returned to her home, and the overdose was staged by the Kennedys and J. Edgar Hoover. Okay. That's a lot of people that see her. That's a lot of people that you're paying off, and you're telling me the ambulance gets all the way to the hospital and doesn't do anything with her? Come on, man. Well, I don't know. Money Money and power speak a lot. I, I mean, I'm of the... Well, I'll let you finish. Yeah, so he based his account on interviews with 650 people connected to Monroe. 
but his research has been criticized by other biographers who state that he contradicts himself and presents false information as fact. Yeah. And despite accumulating a lot of anecdotal information, many people interviewed could provide only second or third hand accounts. And they relate, quote, what they believe, not what they demonstrably mm-hmm. know, unquote. Right. In the 1990s. So this is way later. Two more books alleged that she was murdered despite not bringing up any new evidence at all, and one of the books didn't provide any sources for any of their claims and disregarded many of the findings of the autopsy without explanation. Ooh, okay. Here's something interesting. In a 93 biography written by Donald Spoto, a different theory emerged. It was an accidental overdose that was staged as a suicide, but according to the writer, Spoto, her psychiatrist and physician, who were the first two people called, had been trying to stop her abuse of Nebutal, which is a barbiturate, mm-hmm. and had agreed to not prescribe it to her unless the other had agreed. Reportedly, she convinced one of them that the other had said yes, and she took Nebutal and then didn't tell her psychiatrist, who prescribed her a sedative enema for insomnia, and the combo of these two drugs killed her. Mm. Afraid of the consequences, the doctors and Monroe's housekeeper staged her death as a suicide. Okay. The basis of this theory came from the uh, alleged discrepancies in the police statements given by Monroe's housekeeper and the doctors, a claim made by Monroe's publicist, Arthur P. Jacobs' wife, that he had been alerted of the death already at 10.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. When it wasn't officially reported till 3 a.m. And that would explain why they were on call so quick. Good. And... Mm. Oh, okay. I just lost (laughs) where I was. I just lost where I was. Prosecutor John Minor alleged that her autopsy revealed signs more consistent with an enema than oral ingestion. Okay. Spoto argued that it couldn't have been suicide because of her new agreement with Fox, and allegedly she was going to remarry Joe DiMaggio because they had rekindled their relationship. John Minor had transcripts that he claimed to have made from audio tapes that Monroe recorded shortly before her death. He claimed that Monroe gave the tapes to her psychiatrist, who invited him to listen to them after her death, on the tapes Monroe spoke of her plans for the future, which Minor argues is proof that she could not have killed herself. She also discussed her sex life and use of enemas, and Minor alleged that Monroe was killed by an enema that was administered by her housekeeper. But when asked why he hadn't brought these transcripts forward after the tapes in 1982, he claimed that it was because her psychiatrist had sworn him to silence. The tapes themselves have never been found, and Minor remained the only person to claim they existed. And the psychiatrist was dead before Minor went public with mm-hmm. them, which seems convenient. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minor also lost his license to practice law for several years and went bankrupt shortly before selling the alleged transcripts. Well, oh. that's convenient. Okay. Which had seemingly been written decades after he alleged she'll listen to the tapes. Miner's claims about Monroe's housekeeper being her nurse and administered her enemas was never backed up by any evidence. Mm. And those are all the theories. And uh, the short and, well, kind of short, short for her, her life. Yeah. History of Marilyn Monroe. So which do you believe is the case? I believe suicide. Huh. I think she was a very sad and in pain person. Yeah. Definitely. If it was a suicide, I don't think it was in, like, like, let me rephrase that. If it was an overdose, I think it was intentional. So I think it was a suicide. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. want to rule out the concept, though, that, like, there is some kind of a cover-up going on here, because it wouldn't be the first time. 
No, it wouldn't be. So, like, to me, I think that there are still... I think there are still other pieces there that, like, whether it was mob-related or whether it was, like, political in nature, I think that there... Like, I I can't totally write off the concept just because, like, that whole mm. that whole dynasty during that time was just riddled with a lot of shit. And so I just kind of... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, to me, it's possible. But I do also really feel that she was a very sad person. Maybe it's a, a combo of the two. Like, maybe... It's not necessarily that they did anything, but maybe she came across information. She didn't know how to process it. She didn't know what to do. She felt afraid for her life, and so she killed herself. I I have to wonder if this Kennedy affair thing would have emerged if she hadn't done the song. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, if she hadn't have done that, would any of this even exist? Probably no. not. And so it then it becomes, to me, the question of, was this just a woman that men obviously adored she was adored by the spotlight she was trying to do something in a man-controlled environment that people did not like she had she was trying to regain her power she was trying to retake her life but you i understand what people are saying that she had a new agreement that she was going to get remarried to DiMaggio. So that's why people are like, she couldn't have killed herself, but we have no idea how sad somebody is. Look at Robin Williams. No, I, like you have no idea what's going on with people. You have no clue. No, like I think that that's like really, really shaky arguments at best. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't, like to me, those are irrelevant. It, it's not. Right, You you can't, you cannot prove that someone wasn't, sad enough to commit an an a suicide or an act like that and not only you have you have no proof you don't live inside their body not only that but she was also like struggling with addiction which probably only magnified things even more you know it's just it's and she, i'm sure she she had she had depression she was clearly struggling with a lot of trauma yeah and I I just I th- I if it was an overdose and that's what it was it was not accidental. No, 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 not at all. I don't think it was a no. If that's the case, I don't think so. But I I still like from my perspective, I can't totally rule out that that the government didn't have potentially their hands in this somehow. Just because like they have, there's always shit like that, and especially during this time, there's always there's like all these confounding things that like maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's I don't know, but like to me. It's still a possibility. I can't really say what I favor the most other than, like, drugs did it, but, like, did she do it to herself or did somebody, like, force that on? It's hard to say to me. She was... I also didn't realize how young she was. She was in her 30s. Yeah, she was super young. That's horrible. Yeah. My my only question is, what did the government get out of it? She silenced. They covered their ass for something. They avoided a potential scandal. That's just the thing. Of what? What did she learn? Like, if she did have this affair with him, like, what information did she come across? Or if it wasn't them, if it was the mob, what? Like, there's just because like we don't know what it is that they were trying to cover up doesn't mean that it's not necessarily the case that they weren't trying to cover something up. Like, sometimes people just know too much, and that's just like the whole thing. And that it's happened in the past so many times that I just can't. I to me, I can't be like. 100% 100% no. It, it totally wasn't something like that. I just don't know that it would be fair to 100% rule that out. Well, and I think that's that's why conspiracy theories thrive, because we can't disprove them. Right. 
But I, I, well, we can't disprove some of them. Some of them sound ridiculous. I'm not talking about these. I'm talking about in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I get, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's either that it was, to me, it's either it was a suicide or someone did this Yeah, to her. that's what I'm saying. That's what I feel like, too. But it, to me, there, there was no accident involved here. It was either an intentional thing that she did no. herself or she died at the hands of somebody no. else. Right. I don't think that it was, and I think the idea that it was, if it was ever painted as an accident is absolutely. Oh yeah. Big time. Totally. So that's what I pull out of all of it. Like I, I can't say which one I prefer over the other, just that I don't think that there was anything accidental about any of it. If I'm going to go theories and I, if I think it's a cover up, I'm going to say it had something to do with the doctors. Probably. Yeah. Because I think it was very weird that her psychiatrist is called first then her physician calls, and they both come in. I mean, I understand. She's a very high-profile person. She's in the spotlight. They they get paid to do this. I'm sure they got paid substantially. Yeah, right. And they, they know that she's suffering from addiction. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they're ready. But it just seems wild to me that they're, that the psychiatrist gets called first and that the, they're both there in under an mm. hour. It's weird. The whole thing's weird. It's not. It's so <laughs> not your average... Like, it, no. it, it, there's nothing, there's nothing normal about it. Right. And that, that's why I think it has so much mystery around it is because, okay, if it, if it was a suicide, why does it seem so bizarre? Why is the phone in her hand? Like, I don't know. The whole thing is, right. the whole thing is weird. Right. Why is she just naked face down on her bed? Like, I don't know. The whole thing is, it's just bizarre. Right. It just, it doesn't seem, and the phone in her hand is some people were like, she's, oh, it's a red herring. I was like, I don't know that like it some is. Some people are probably like, she was calling 911. You know, it's, I, I get it, but like, I also don't. It, it's just, I don't know. Like I said, I I know where I stand on it and where you stand on it. And I think we've kind of reached like, we agree that this is not anything that it's just like a, it happened and it's unfortunate. Like, like, it just, there was, there was intention behind this. Right. Whether it was hers or somebody else's, that we right. don't know. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. So that that's that's Marilyn. Well done. She's an interesting, very sad figure. Yeah, and what's interesting about her is I didn't realize that she was like kind of a Lucille Ball kind of figure. Mm-hmm. For everyone that doesn't know, Lucille Ball was also a badass and, and very smart, very mm-hmm. smart. And I, but I just didn't realize that. And it's just I like learning about these women that historically, especially Monroe, mm-hmm. she's. She's this sex symbol, and then she's also like, fuck you guys, and she's trying to fight for her own space. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just, I don't know. It's fucked up. Wild stuff. But there you it have is. it. Two very, very interesting women. Mm-hmm. That's all. <laughs> That's, That's it. it. <laughs> we're, yeah. We're just here to praise the very interesting women who are trailblazing. Yeah, we are. And then are mislabeled. And overlooked. That's yeah, right. Big time. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> and uh, let us know what you guys yeah, think yeah, about these two for ladies. For sure, mine mine so much isn't really too much of a mystery. But let, you know, let us know what you think. But she's very interesting. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, if you think she's cool too, for sure. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and until next time, stay strange. <laughs>